Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, we've been in the Gospel of Mark for the last four weeks. If you don't have a journal, pick one up. You can get one today or come this week and pick one up or get it next week when you're here. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. So they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And then Mark lists the 12 disciples. The other gospels, they write listed apostles as well. Always that list begins with Peter. Always that list ends with Judas Iscariot, not shocking. Now in this case, Jesus goes up the mountain and calls these 12. Most of these guys, except for Judas, were from Galilee. Most of these guys were fishermen types. So the question is, why didn't Jesus just, you know, have a fish and chips dinner alongside the Sea of Galilee, and after, after they ate their little lunch, why didn't he just say, okay, you guys, you're the ones that are going to be the 12, 12 apostles? Why did he do that? Why did he go up the mountain to do that? I mean, they didn't have to travel. He could have just called them right down there. There's symbolism. The symbolism is important. In the Old Testament, the key figures, Noah, Abraham, Moses, all went up the mountains to hear from the Lord. And so now Jesus does. And he calls 12 men. Why 12? Why not 10 apostles? Why not 15 apostles? Why 12? Again, Jews in the first century would have picked up on that symbolism on the mountaintop. Jesus with 12 apostles, the 12 tribes of Israel are returning. The 12 tribes that really hadn't been, been functioning as such since the Assyrian uh, invasion in 734 at BC. Now Jesus is bringing back the wholeness of Israel. Uh, people would have known that. They would have picked up on that. But it's not only shocking that Jesus would choose these 12 and restore Israel, thereby really indicating the, the, the Messiah again. But it's shocking because of the 12 that he chose. None of them are scholars. They're, they're, not, they're not learned. They're not royalty. They're not uh, uh, you know, wealthy patrons. None of that. And did you see the qualities of these disciples in verse 13 and 14? You can underline these in your journal. Really... These are the three qualities of a disciple and their good qualities. Verse 14 says what they are to do, they're to be with him. Disciples are to be with Jesus. You want to be with Jesus? You want to be a disciple of Jesus? You got to spend time with Jesus. Prayer and Bible study. You got to be, spend time with Jesus. Number two, disciples aren't afraid to speak the gospel. In, in verse 14, he sent them out to preach. You don't have to be a preacher to preach. My goodness, Carla preaches to me all the time. Just be willing to proclaim the good news of Jesus. You don't have to have a seminary degree to, to tell folks about Jesus. And verse 15, disciples are people of action. They have authority to cast out demons. Action, 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 doing the work of, of, of God. So Jesus has these 12 disciples, and he says, this is your job. You're, you're to be with me in word and deed. So if we want to be a disciple of Jesus, we need to spend time with him. And then that produces in us a boldness to proclaim the word of God and a readiness for action. So don't be surprised that Jesus called these ordinary men. Listen, the power of those men, the strength of those men wasn't from themselves. It wasn't that somebody saw Peter or John or the other ten and said, wow, they're a sharp cookie. I can see why Jesus chose them. No, they, they, they were called by Jesus and they ended up being strong and powerful and authoritative because they'd been with Jesus. That's the only reason. They had been with Jesus. So don't be shocked what Jesus can do with ordinary people like, like you and me. Don't be shocked when, 
And the more and more and more that we spend with Jesus, that action happens. At the end of this section, we're going to see what Jesus says are his followers. And he says this, For whoever does the will of God, he's my brother and sister and mother. What does it take to be a part of God's family? You don't have to be extraordinary. You don't have to call yourself a saint. You have to be willing, spend time with Jesus, do the will of God. You can be utterly ordinary, but if you spend time with Jesus, watch out. There's no telling what God can do through you. Don't be shocked by who's in. Second point, shocking news about people. Don't be shocked at who's out. Verse 20, look at that. Then he went home, he went down from the mountain, and a crowd gathered so that he could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Jesus' family. Jesus is crazy. He's out of his mind. Jesus' family lived in Nazareth. Jesus was in Capernaum, 30 miles away. It would have taken three days to get from Nazareth to to Capernaum. And and you'd think by this placement, where Mark, how Mark tells this portion of the story, uh, uh, that, that Jesus, the crowds were so large that Jesus couldn't eat, you would think almost stereotypical fashion that Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters are saying, oh my goodness, Jesus isn't eating. You know, he's keeping terrible hours. You gotta eat, Jesus, eat. You can't, you can't do all those miracles on an empty stomach. Eat, Jesus, eat. Jesus, you're turning into skin and bones. Eat, Jesus, eat. But, but when you read the story, they couldn't have come to that conclusion. They're 30 miles away, three, three days trip. More than likely, their big beef with Jesus wasn't that he wasn't eating. Their big beef with Jesus was what we just talked about up on the mountain, just like Moses and Abraham calling 12 disciples, restoring the 12 tribes. And the people, just everyday people and Jesus' family, no doubt included, would have heard about the events, the miracles, the healing of the guy, especially the guy with leprosy, chasing out demons, forgiving sins. You add it all up, you only come to one conclusion. The only one that can do this is, 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 is the Son of God, the Messiah. And Jesus, through all this, again, remember, he's trying to tell everyone to be quiet about it, but the demons, they just spill it out every time that we encounter a demon in Mark's gospel. They spill it out, we know who you are, Jesus. And he says, don't tell anybody, but they blabber. So Mark is building up on this assertion that there's only one conclusion that you can have, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus' family They no doubt were hearing these rumors as well, even though they were 30 miles away. And they drew the conclusion, they knew what happened to false messiahs. They knew how fickle crowds can be. They knew that you can, today's hero is tomorrow's villain. So their explanation of what's going on, he's crazy. He's just crazy. And the question is, why would Mark say this? Why why, why would Mark include this in the part of the gospel? You remember, he's writing 60 AD. He's trying to get people to read the story of Jesus so that they might believe in Jesus. You would think that this part of the story he'd leave out. You know, let's ixnay on the Jesus family think he's crazy, you know? You don't want to show any doubts. But again, Mark writing in 60 AD. Jesus' brother, James, already by then, uh, had written the book of James, the epistle of James, in your New Testament. Maybe by, by 60 AD, the story of, of Jesus' family was widely known. That even when Jesus began his ministry, even his family didn't believe. They thought he was crazy, but after the resurrection, after the resurrection and Jesus showed up, it's kind of hard to doubt after the resurrection. Look at James, he's one of the pillars of the church. That's what Mark is probably saying. 
Are you still with me? In this section, Mark uses something that he's going to use again and again in the gospel. Um, it's come to be known as a Mark sandwich. You, you've heard of, you know, Reuben sandwiches and Monte Crisco's. Cheddar's has an excellent Monte Crisco sandwich. I call it a meat donut. I recommend that highly. But this is the Mark sandwich, and this is what Mark does. He, he gives you a taste of the story. In this case, Jesus' family is saying Jesus is crazy. He goes to another story. The scribes in the next story think Jesus is demon-possessed. And then he comes back to the first story. Jesus' family thinks he's crazy. Now, and then, and then Jesus is going to say that, that third time that here's the real family of God. My, my mothers and brothers and sisters are the ones who are doing the will of God. That's a Mark sandwich. Story, another story, back to the first story. So the shocking truth about people that Jesus says, don't be surprised at who's in, don't be surprised at who's out, and don't be shocked when those who think they're in or best or brightest or right or special, don't be shocked when those folks spew and do and say things that are disappointing or disheartening or terrible. You've heard the saying, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. You can give plenty of examples of that, so can I. So here, verse 22 is exhibit A. The Bible says this, and the scribes. Ugh. I don't want to stop here, but i got to stop here because it's kind of important. There's no way we're going to get into ch- through two chapters, but help me. I'm stopping at the first word in verse 22, and that little word and, it links the scribes who are coming to, to Jesus and Jesus' family. Jesus' family thinks he's crazy. These guys think that, that, that he's possessed by the devil himself. Neither his family nor the scribes believe Jesus. It's interesting that neither the family nor, nor the scribes uh, deny the miracles that Jesus has done. It's kind of hard to deny when lame guys, former lame guys are walking and blind people are seeing and lepers are cleansed and demon-possessed people are in their right mind. So, so Jesus' family, they, they try to put a, a spin and the scribes. They put a, try to put their own uh, explanation, alternative facts to explain what Jesus has been doing. Jesus' family, he's crazy. Listen, you can't pastor for 30 years without running into a few uh, crazy folks. And I can tell you this, I haven't seen one of them, not one of them, do any kind of miracle. They've just been flat out crazy. And, and, and the other side, he's demon-possessed. Now, if either one, the scribes of the family, got their way, Jesus' ministry would be done. It would be over. If his family got their way, Jesus would be back in, you know, a carpentry shop. And if the scribes got their way, Jesus would just, you know, sit down and shut up. Let's read on. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, sorry, I got to stop again. They came, these guys, these guys, these scribes who came down from Jerusalem more than likely were, were part of the Sanhedrin. The San, what's the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin, 72 men that were uh, uh, thought to be the best and the brightest, the most learned, the most devout, these 72 men. They, along with the chief priest, really gave the, the cultural direction for, for the Jewish people. Think of them as the Supreme Court, the Congress, and for we Nazarenes, the Board of General Superintendents, all rolled up into one group. Very, very important. Enormous power. So don't be shocked, though, when these people who should know better, best and brightest, they should know better, or maybe better stated, maybe worse stated, they do know better, but they choose not to do better. So these bigwigs from Jerusalem come down to check out Jesus, and this is what they're saying. They were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He casts out demons. Oh, boy. Here we go. Of course, Jesus is going to call these guys out. Are you kidding me? They just called the Son of God, Satan. 
just a tip. That's not a good idea. So Jesus asked them, how can Satan cast out Satan? That's a good question. You guys aren't making sense. How can Satan cast out Satan? Can't happen. And then he goes on to say this. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Hello, my fellow Americans. Are you listening to that? Jesus' words were true for Satan. They're true for countries. They're true for kingdoms. They're true for marriages. It's true for relationships. It's certainly true for America today. Our country, I don't know. It probably hasn't been this divided since maybe the 60s, maybe the Civil War. I don't know. It feels that way to me. America's in trouble. We've got a lot of issues. And if you love America, you need to pray. We need to pray that our country would be the United States of America. We need to pray that there would be liberty and justice for all. All, everybody, no matter who you are. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, Jesus said. And he went on to say, and if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. And he is coming to an end, my brothers and sisters. Satan's not going to win. Jesus does. His days are numbered. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Jesus goes on to say, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus in that little parable is the strongest man. Make sure you understand that. Satan thinks this is his house. Jesus calls him the prince of this world. He thinks this is his house. He can do whatever he wants in his house. He can wreak havoc in his house. But hear me, Jesus is stronger. Jesus is stronger. He's the one that ties up the plunderer, the thief, the snake, the, the father of lies, the prince of this old world. Jesus is stronger. He's in control. We can always trust him. And these scribes come along and they reason, well, Jesus is doing what he's doing because he's Satan. Please. There's only one reason Jesus can do the things he's doing. He's the son of God. Okay, there's one more thing in this passage that we have to touch on. I know we've got to get going, but we have to touch on this because people ask about it from time to time to me. It's verses 28 through 30, the unpardonable sin. It's mentioned here. Pastor, have I committed the unpardonable sin? Pastor, what is the unpardonable sin? I get that question. And Jesus says to these scribes, remember, they just called him Satan. Okay, so keep that in mind. Every demon, every demon that has encountered Jesus up until this point has known exactly who Jesus is. Everyone, they spewed out, I know who you are, you're the son of God. These guys don't. And Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. Whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, the impardonable sin. For they, are saying, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. What's going on here? What's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? We sure don't want to do that. Jesus creates a paradox. Verse 28, he says, all sins will be forgiven. Verse 29, he says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. So which is it? Listen, forgiveness comes from God alone. And that's why the Pharisees were so upset last week when Jesus, when the guy was, was you know, lowered down into the crowded room from the, from the roof and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. That's why they were so mad. Only God gives forgiveness. So, if you think you're not the problem and you think God is the problem, in this case, these, these scribes saying that Jesus was Satan, then you've got a problem. Where are you gonna go for forgiveness? If you think God is the problem. See, he's the, he's the only one that can forgive sins. 
Where are you gonna go for forgiveness? Forgiveness comes from God alone. Does that, does that make sense? Paul in Romans said, said, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're calling on the name of the Lord, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you call on the name of Jesus, you will be saved. That's what Paul says. But if you never call on the name of the Lord, if you think he's the problem, if in your mind you think God is wrong and I am right, where are you going to go for forgiveness? Unpardonable sin? Never asking for forgiveness. You don't ask, it can't be given. All right, listen. Two big deals from Jesus' ministry. Remember? People, kingdom of God. Three truths about the people. Don't be shocked at who's in. Don't be shocked at who's out. Don't be shocked when those who think they're in but are really out say terrible, terrible things. And three big shocking truths about the kingdom of God. Chapter four. Oh my goodness, here we go. You get another Namark sandwich. It's a parable. He begins parable of the kingdom of God and he uses seeds for his examples. And then he tells a story about a lamp on a stand. And then he goes back to two more stories about the kingdom of God and using seeds as examples. So I'm going to save the meat part, if you think of a sandwich. I'm going to save the meat part for the last and talk about the bread part, the sandwich part, the kingdom of God first, if that's okay. And so three big shocking truths about the kingdom of God that we get from those three parables. First shocking truth. The kingdom of God is more available than you think. That first story is about a farmer who goes out and starts scattering seeds. Sometimes this parable is called the parable of the soils. Some of the seeds falls on bad soil. Some of it falls on paths. Some of it falls, you know, birds come and eat it. Some of it falls on good soil. And, and it doesn't take a genius to figure out, we want to be the good soil. We, we, want, we want to be the soil that where, where Jesus' word comes in and it grows and grows and grows. And the point the point of that story, the kingdom of God point, that's available to everybody. The sower just sows the seed. It's available to everybody. No one is exempt. Everyone can receive it. And the question is, have you? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Paul says, will be saved. Have you done that? Have you received Jesus? Maybe you're at home watching today. And, and next week, maybe you're going to come or maybe you're going to send your spouse off and you're going to stay at home. And you're not even paying attention but you're list, I mean, you're, not, you're acting like you're not paying attention, but you are paying attention. And the question for you at home is, have you received Jesus? Are you the good soil where God's word can come in you and you can grow and grow and grow and grow? You know, I did this one Sunday. This isn't in my notes, but I'll tell you real quick. I did that one. I said something like that a few Sundays back. And a guy who never comes to church, hadn't been in church in 25 years. His wife was in the living room watching the service. He was in the kitchen doing whatever, paying attention. After the service, she went into the, to the, to the kitchen, saw him mumbling, said, what are you doing? She thought he was talking to himself. He said, well, I'm praying, and I've asked God to forgive me. And he wanted her forgiveness. He was at home. Had this, had this coronavirus happened, she would have been in church. He would have been doing whatever he was doing on Sunday morning, but he would have been hearing the gospel. So I know this, this coronavirus is terrible, but I can point to one guy who's in the kingdom now because of it. And I say praise the Lord for that. The kingdom of God is more available than you think. The kingdom of God is more powerful than you think. That second parable, only Mark tells his second parable. The kingdom of God is as a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of ear. 
But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The kingdom of God is powerful, more powerful than you think. A tiny seed in the ground, you can't see it, but it's at work. You might think nothing is happening, but something is happening. Listen, you can look around these days, and you can say, oh my goodness, there's so much stuff going on, and it's all a mess, and all of this is going on. I don't see God working. Hear me, God is working. My brothers and sisters, God is, even if you don't see it, God is working. The kingdom of God, it's more available than you think. The kingdom of God is, 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 is more powerful than you think, even when you don't see it. And the last parable, the kingdom of God is way bigger than you think. In that last parable, Jesus points out that the kingdom of God is like a tiny, teeny, tiny mustard seed, but he reminds us that it grows and grows and grows. He said, that's how the kingdom of God is. Look, it starts out small. It starts out just Jesus. Even his family didn't believe him. His family thought he was crazy. But it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. It starts out Jesus and it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And eventually, there were some people in Flint, Michigan that had the audacity to believe that Jesus' words that he taught us to pray could be true. That Jesus taught us to pray that his will would be done and his kingdom would come right here where we live in Flint, as it is in heaven. Shocking news. We believe that that's true. We believe that, that God loves all people. So don't be shocked by those who are in. Don't be shocked by those who are out. Don't be shocked by those who are out who think they're in and say terrible, awful things. Shocking news. The kingdom of God is more available than you think. The kingdom of God is more powerful than you think. The kingdom of God is, the kingdom of God is way bigger than you think. Okay, the meat sandwich part. Those three seed stories, but in between is the, the meat part. And Mark slides in a lesson about a lamp on a stand. He says this, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has will be given, and the, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is the meat of the Mark sandwich. And Jesus is talking about the people in the kingdom of God. And the big question, the big question of this as we're wrapping up, is, is what are the people of God in the kingdom of God supposed to be doing? According to Jesus, we're supposed to be shining our light. You know the kid's song, not hiding it under a bushel, no. Shining our light. Jesus is really saying, go bigger, go home. You know, whoever has will be added more. Go bigger, go home. Shine the light. What about you? These are strange and curious times. And in these strange and curious times, are you letting the light of Jesus shine through you? Now, no one's going to stone you. But is the light of Jesus shining through you? In these troubling times, is the light of Jesus shining through you? We might never see a times like this. None of us has ever seen anything like this before. We might never see anything like this again. And so is the love and the light of Jesus shining through you in these times? Do people, do people see how you're responding and how you're caring and how you're loving? How you're loving your neighbors, no matter what color their skin. How, you're, how you recognize that all this stuff going on, whether it's a, a, a virus or whether it's racism or whether it's junk just happening or loneliness or, or, or absenteeism, all this stuff that's going on right now. At the Church of Jesus Christ, this should be our shining moment when we're saying, listen, we know the way. We're not going to hide our light under a bushel, no. 
We're going to tell you about Jesus. We're going to let the love of Jesus shine through us. We're going to keep on shining for Jesus. Remember the next, the next uh, little chorus, line in that little chorus is, won't let Satan poof it out. No! He, Satan tried to poof out Stephen. He tried to poof out that early believers. But this is what we know. The kingdom of God is more available than you think. The kingdom of God is more, more powerful than you think. The kingdom of God is bigger than you think. And God chooses to use people like you and me to see his kingdom built and his will done right here in Flint. Oh, my brothers and sisters, don't let your light be hidden under a bushel. No. Do all the work you can. See Jesus build his kingdom right here. See Jesus do amazing things right around us, on your street, in your neighborhood, in your house. Let Jesus work through you. What do disciples do? They spend time with Jesus. What do disciples do? They are, they are so in the word. They are ready to proclaim the good news of Jesus. What do disciples do? They are people of action. And they work, and they work, and they do, and they serve, and they serve, and they serve. And people say, wow, something's going on here. Let the light of Jesus shine through you. Let's pray. Thanks for being here. Again, next Sunday, we're all going to be back together. And, and it's going to be a great day. We'll be socially distanced. We'll be doing everything we can. But let's pray now. Lord, we want to be your people. We want your light to shine through us. There may be some folks at home that have never accepted you into their life. And like that gentleman a few weeks back, they've been listening, acting like they're not paying attention, but they are. And so, Jesus, we just pray that you would come and work in their heart and life, that you would forgive all the sin, that you would transform. Just as Peter preached on Pentecost, all we have to do is repent and believe, and we will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, maybe like that gentleman who we'll waited for 25 years, Praise the Lord, you've still rescued him. Lord, there may be some folks like that there, or there may be some folks like that here. And we pray, Lord, that you would come in and then let our light shine. Let this be the shining moment of the church of Jesus Christ, that we are loving our neighbors, that we are working for mercy and justice, and we're doing it humbly, and we're following after you, and we're seeing you work in great and mighty ways. The kingdom of God is bigger than we think. It's more powerful than we think. And Jesus is Lord of all. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.